hail the late round quarterback. All hail the late round quarterback. All hail the late round quarterback. All hail the late round quarterback. Yes! The early round quarterback is officially dead. <sighs> Stabbed in the heart. Die, early round quarterback. Die, 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 die. It's over. The good guys won. Late round quarterback is here to stay forever. Ever. It is official. I'm making it official today. Today, we celebrate late round quarterback day. Now, why is it late round quarterback day? Because look at the fantasy point scored list for the quarterback position for 2015 as of this moment in time. Let's do it. Anyone that thought taking a quarterback in the first few rounds was a good idea is officially wrong. They were wrong when they said it, and they will never be proven right. It's official. They will never be proven right. It is a fact. It is now a fact that you should not take a quarterback in the early rounds. That is not a some one of these bogus rules of thumb that you don't want to draft wide receivers that are exactly six foot four and exactly thirty one years old. No, this is not a bogus rule of thumb. This is the way. This is the truth. This is factual. The quarterback ones in fantasy, as of today, are as follows. I will start at the lowest and work our way up. Number 12, Derek Carr. Number 11, Russell Wilson. Number 10, Ryan Tannehill. Number 9, Ben Roethlisberger. Get well soon. Number 8, Matt Ryan. Number 7, Marcus Mariota. Number six, Cam Newton. Here we go. Number five, Tyrod Taylor. Number four, Carson Palmer. Ready for this one? Number three, Andrew Dalton, also known as Andy to most people. I call him Andrew and his, his grandmother. Never mind. Number two, Aaron Rodgers. All hail thee, demigod. All hail thee. Father, son, holy ghost, Aaron Rodgers. He's the fourth one now. There was three, right? Father, son, holy ghost. Now there's four. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Aaron Rodgers, right? And number one, Tom Brady, the ageless one, the guy who has it all. Aaron Rodgers may be the best athlete in the history of sport in this world on planet Earth, but Tom Brady may be the greatest guy ever. Tom Brady has more stuff that guys want than any other guy maybe ever. I mean, you'd have to go to Frank Sinatra. You'd have to go to someone like that to get to that level that Tom Brady's at in terms of good looks, model wife, championships, everything. Just everything. Fame, fortune, a mansion with a moat, everything. Just everything. Fashion icon, sports icon. I mean, everything. You think about all of the accolades that an icon could have across the spectrum of fame and fortune. Who could say they have more, have accomplished more than Tom Brady? I don't know. I'm asking the question. Contact us on Twitter, at Roto Underworld. Can you think of someone who is more acclaimed, a more acclaimed icon in the history of the world than Tom Brady? Someone that guys want to emulate more than Tom Brady. 
You can go back to Joe Namath. I mean, there's going to be a handful of examples, but I, I'm interested. Email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Let us know. But that's the list of top 12 quarterbacks in the NFL. That list includes, again, Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Tyrod Taylor, Carson Palmer, and Andy Dalton. A minimum of five quarterbacks that no one was drafting as QB1s. Who's not on that list? Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. What is going on? What has the world come to? This has been the world we've been living in for a long time. A world where it doesn't make any sense to draft a quarterback in the first few rounds. What are you doing? The early round quarterback is officially dead. Ask Andy Dalton. Ask Tyrod Taylor. Ask Carson Palmer. Ask Marcus Mariota. So many times I heard people say, well, it's too tempting to take Andrew Luck here in the third round. I gotta do it. I'll have that two points per game advantage on my competition all season. Gotta do it. Really? Okay. Go ahead. Do it. It would be justified. The value over stream for someone like Andrew Luck and what he was able to do in 2014, yes, that would justify that draft position if you're getting that kind of value over stream. But good luck finding the quarterback that is going to give you 26 fantasy points per game when the next quarterback on the list gives you 23 fantasy points per game. That scenario does not always unfold like that every year. And then if there is a quarterback that is that much better than the rest, good luck finding him. Andrew Luck was not one of the top three quarterbacks drafted in 2014. That list includes Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Peyton Manning. So even if you went out in the third round in 2014 and said, I'm going to grab this quarterback that's going to outstrip the other quarterbacks by three fantasy points per game, you would have failed because you would have drafted Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, or Aaron Rodgers not Andrew Luck. So even if we stumble into one of these seasons where there's one quarterback that stands head and shoulders above the rest, good luck finding him. It's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. That's why we advocate for the late round quarterback tactic. And it's funny, there is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, you should follow at first round quarterback. It's funny. It's a parody account. And the tagline, for this parody account is, you get Andrew Luck, you get Gronk, you win. So instead of taking a running back or a wide receiver in the first two rounds, as we advocate, this individual says, draft Gronk, then draft Andrew Luck, and the rest will just fall into place and you'll win. So now this person, this parody of a person, is, is stuck because they've already drafted Luck. <laughs> and there's nothing, they can't do anything. So I saw a tweet come out yesterday. <laughs> With a correction. No, 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 no. I didn't mean draft lock. I meant Aaron Rodgers. Sorry, sorry. You get Aaron Rodgers, you get Gronk, you win. No, no, no. Too late. Too late. It's too late. You have luck and you have lost. Don't you understand? You drafted luck and now you've lost. It's over. You can't possibly win. Your team is in an indefensible position. All the other teams in the league have the high ground. You have the low ground. It's over. And, and the most amazing thing about this is a Twitter account... This is what I marvel at. A Twitter account set up with the explicit purpose of parodying the late round quarterback draft tactic ends up being the very account that exemplifies why that tactic is so good, right? That's amazing. An amazing confluence of events as Andrew Luck falls outside the top 12 quarterbacks. 
Nothing could be more apropos than that. Long live late round quarterback. Now, another player that I've been advocating for right along, been excited about, and it's time to to celebrate him for a moment. I think it's time that we take a moment and celebrate the ascension of one Leonard Hankerson. Leonard Hankerson is still available on a number of waiver wires. Three catches, 40-something yards, no touchdowns last week. He is still going to be available on a lot of waiver wires because it looks like he had one good game and remains the third receiver on Atlanta. And that's just not the case. His targets have greatly outstripped Roddy White. And the Falcons run three receiver sets almost exclusively. So Leonard Hankerson's on the field almost as much as Roddy White. And when Matt Ryan goes through his read progressions, he sees Leonard Hankerson getting open, and he doesn't see Roddy White getting open. Therefore, he throws the ball to Leonard Hankerson. Leonard Hankerson is going to have some big games this year because there will be defenses that bracket and take away Julio Jones. Didn't happen last week. Julio Jones had 20 targets. But in those games where the defense focuses solely on stopping Julio Jones, those are going to be big games for Leonard Hankerson. Leonard Hankerson has... A handful, I believe, of 100-plus yard multi-touchdown games in him. And the reason why is because if you go to playerprofiler.com and you look at the Leonard Hankerson profile, he has one of the most extraordinary profiles for a wide receiver in the NFL. So he has size. He's 6'1", 210. He's not one of these rail-thin, six foot, six foot one guys. He has bulk and strength and a nice center of gravity. He ran a 4-4-3, which comes out to a 108.5 height-adjusted speed score. His burst and his agility score are league average, and he has an above-average catch radius. That's an, athletic, that's an athletic player. His spark score, 112.5, 70th percentile. He's an athlete. Now, so you have an athlete with the requisite size who has a profile similar to Sammy Watkins at the college level. Just wasn't as hyped as Sammy Watkins. Came in... Less heralded than Sammy Watkins, but he was actually a better prospect coming out of Miami than Sammy Watkins was coming out of Clemson. Because at Miami, Leonard Hankerson posted a 49.6% college dominator rating, 94th percentile. I mean, he's up in that stratosphere of college dominator ratings with Vincent Jackson and Demarius Thomas and Calvin Johnson. He was that prolific at a major conference school, 16.1 college yards per reception, also very good, an average breakout age, no red flags on the profile, none, zero. Washington saw this and they drafted him in the third round. So he has reasonably high draft capital supporting this prospect profile. There's nothing not to like about Leonard Hankerson. He is a better receiver than Roddy White. Now you could make an argument Roddy White in his prime was better than Leonard Hankerson in his prime. And that's actually arguable when you put the profiles side by side. But now that Roddy White has been suffering through a number of lower body maladies and now shoulder maladies as well, you can't imagine the ice baths that Roddy White has to endure on a weekly basis, how much treatment he has to go through to get his body ready to play every week. Leonard Hankerson's in his prime. He's 26 and a half years old. This is his uber prime. This is time. It's Hank time. It is Hank time right now. And I mock the people that use the term truther. Because they misuse it so often. Truther. See that on social media all the time. Truther. What is a truther? A truther is someone who has endured multiple seasons following a player 
having conviction about a player, believing in a player, and not having that faith fulfilled with fantasy productivity. Those of us that are still wistfully hoping for Stephen Hill to one day put it together, those are truthers. All along, I have been wistfully hoping for Leonard Hankerson to get out of Washington, get healthy, and have an opportunity to demonstrate what he demonstrated at the college level. Uber production. And now, in the Falcons offense, the Falcons offense that threw the ball in the top five number of pass attempts in the NFL in 2014, Leonard Hankerson is now in a starting role on the field for almost every snap in passing situations on a high-volume offense. There's n- it. Leonard Hankerson signing with Atlanta was a dream come true, best-case scenario for his truthers, and I was a truther because Leonard Hankerson wallowed for three years as a rookie that didn't get much opportunity, then as a sophomore player, was a third receiver, then tore his ACL, then had to rehab his ACL throughout the offseason and had a, a muted third season, not fully healthy, trying to get reincorporated back into a new offense. Made sense that Leonard Hankerson wasn't going to wow you with counting stats in year three. And I understood this. I don't think I was a Leonard Hankerson apologist. I wasn't excuse-making. But there were explanations, very sound, reasonable explanations for why Leonard Hankerson did not ascend in years one, two, or three. And now is the time. Now is Hank time. Hank time is now. But yes, as I would define the textbook definition of truther, I consider myself a Leonard Hankerson truther. I was also a Stedman Bailey truther. And I turned in my robe. I burned my Stedman Bailey truther robe. Because if Stedman Bailey can't get more than one target in year four on a per-game basis, it's over. You can drop him from your dynasty leagues, from your very deep rosters. It's not going to happen. Also, unlike Leonard Hankerson, Stedman Bailey has been banished to one of the lowest volume offenses in the NFL. Not going to happen. So I have been a truther about a handful of players. All it takes is one of those players. These are players that you are a truther about, quote-unquote, that you stash at the bottom of your roster in Dynasty and you just hope that they catch a break. Leonard Hankerson caught a break, Stedman Bailey didn't, or maybe Stedman Bailey was just never that good and I misread his profile. Oh well. But yes, if you want to call me a Leonard Hankerson truther, please go for it. Welcome the label. You want to call me a Stedman Bailey truther? Go for it. I welcome the label. But a lot of people don't welcome the label. They think of truther as a pejorative. I see this with fantasy experts all the time as they tiptoe around players. Don't want to show too much conviction about their positions. They'll start off with a caveat. Oh, I'm no truther, but... Well, I'm not a truther, but there's some interesting things about this player. I'm not a truther, but this player looks good. Oh, I'm not a truther, but this player is in a position to gather more opportunity as the weeks progress. He's a guy you want to monitor. I'm not a truther, but... If you're not a truther, then you're a coward. Just admit it. You have no convictions. Because part of being a truther is having convictions. And that's why I understand when people think of the word truther as a pejorative. Because what does it mean? It just means it's mocking people with convictions. Calling them truthers. And I don't mind. Go ahead. Call me a truther about Leonard Hankerson. Call me a truther about Stedman Bailey. Go right ahead. Because when I read that, I decode it. And realize, oh, that just means I have convictions. Thank you for that. Meanwhile, others are too paranoid. Oh, so many people 
So few experts were out in front of Leonard Hankerson. So many people were, were soft-pedaling, didn't want to be seen as truthers. No, 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 no. I mean, they're happy touting Julio Jones and Antonio Brown, players that have already ascended. Those are safe. Tout those players. You'll never be accused of being a truther. And then, when you want to talk about players like Leonard Hankerson, just shoot out random stats. But don't wrap them in any context that would show conviction. No, 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 no. Don't want to be a truther. What people ask, and, and I talk about this on the show, the audience, the buzzards, the minions, what do they ask me to do? Tell us what to do. Give us advice. Why do you have this show? Yes, your stories are great. Keep telling stories. But interwoven in the stories, between stories, just tell us who to pick up, damn it. Have convictions. Tell us to buy or tell us to sell. Demonstrate a consistent player evaluation process and then deliver it with conviction. Enough with these probabilities and these maybes and the, oh, there's a non-zero chance Dante Moncrief is good. Get out of here with your non-zero chances, your maybes and your probabilities. Do you have conviction or not? Leonard Hankerson is good now. He was good two years ago. Leonard Hankerson was good and that was clear regardless of what he did in the last three years in the NFL. Just like Devontae Adams is bad regardless of what he does this year. He's bad. And I don't care if anyone else shares this opinion or not. I have convictions about some players. That's why you tune in. Not to hear me him and ha and make sure I add these caveats to every take that I have. No, this is a caveat-free show. But I love people that label those of us that like Jeff Janis as truthers. Yeah, you're a Jeff Janis truther. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. You can't be a truther about a second-year player. Do you call people that are enthusiastic about Devontae Adams, Devontae Adams, truthers? No. It takes time. We talked about this with James Jones. It took James Jones until 31 years old for him to finally put it all together and stop dropping passes. It takes time. And a player coming from a small school that latched onto the roster as a special teams player, a late-round pick, someone who's going to take more time to develop than, say, Amari Cooper, you want to give that player more than one year before you determine, is he going to happen or not? Is he good or not? Yes, once you get into year three and you still have conviction and this player hasn't shown anything, feel free to label that person or me a truther. But you're going to label Jeff Janis a truther after 19 regular season games where the place he was playing football before Green Bay was Saginaw Valley State? Get out of here. You were wrong about Jeff Janis. You're some Jeff Janis insane, irrational unsophisticated, superstitious Jeff Janis truther. No, no. What are you talking about? Were the people that believed in Vincent Jackson, Vincent Jackson truthers, three games into year two? No, he came from Northern Colorado. It was going to take some time. Back off, man. But I'll tell you when I'm a truther. Leonard Hankerson, truther. Stedman Bailey, truther. One for two. I'll take it. I'll take the one for two on the, the deep roster stashes. Now, here's a guy that no one could be accused of being a truther on, Max Williams. Because Max Williams is a rookie. If I believe in Max Williams, am I a Max Williams truther? How long do these guys have to break out before you start calling the people that are enthusiastic about these players crazy, irrational, faith-based fantasy players? Is three games enough to start calling people that like Max Williams truthers? Because I like Max Williams. Absolutely. Like him a lot because I like 
college dominance. Max Williams, 48.8% college dominator rating. 99th percentile. There's only one player in the playerprofiler.com database with a better dominator rating than Max Williams. That's Derek Carrier at Beloit College. So Max Williams has the best dominator rating at a major conference school of any tight end in the playerprofiler.com database. Does Max Williams have some red flags? He does, actually. His agility score of 1167 is low. 36th percentile. You don't like your tight ends to not be agile. Agility score, like we talked about with Austin Safarian Jenkins and Tyler Eifert, it's indicative of a big player who can operate in space well. Lateral agility and quickness for a tight end is important. And you already saw it. You've already seen it this year with Tyler Eifert and Austin Safarian Jenkins. Max Williams doesn't have that. But Jason Witten wasn't particularly agile laterally explosive. Neither was Heath Miller. Last year, Larry Donnell had a great season. Not agile at all. Not a great season. Did we say, did I say a great season? Okay. Larry Donnell had a pretty good season. <laughs> so it is possible for Max Williams to be a top 10 tight end in the league. I don't see him ever ascending to top five tight end status because he doesn't have the size or the agility. He's only 6'4", 249, and that agility score combined with the fact that he's not particularly big, means that it's going to be very difficult to imagine a scenario where Max Williams can achieve fantasy output like we've seen from Greg Olson, Martellus Bennett, Rob Gronkowski, of course. It's hard to imagine in your mind's eye a player with that profile being a top five tight end in the league. Top 10 tight end? Absolutely. Absolutely. And now what's going on in Baltimore? Crockett Gilmore is out tomorrow. At Pittsburgh, Max Williams is going to be the starter. That's exciting. He had seven targets last week, only playing 40% of the snaps. Crockett Gilmore went out in the second half. In came Max Williams and absorbed seven targets. Why? Because he's a fantastic receiver. How do we know he's a fantastic receiver? 48.8% college dominator rating. Let's put that in context. Let's think about what that means. Last year at Minnesota, when the quarterback would drop back, half of his yards and half of his touchdowns were achieved when he targeted Max Williams. This is a tight end. Think about it for a second. How dominant that guy has to be. Hand-eye coordination, strength at the catch point. These are all things that a tight end that doesn't have great athleticism can bring to the table and still be productive. We've seen that with Heath Miller. We've seen it with... Other tight ends that weren't athletic specimens but had tremendous college dominators be fantasy relevant. In this particular week, Ravens-Steelers, that is going to be a high-scoring game. There is going to be volume to be had in that game. Max Williams will be the starter. He could get 10 targets. Max Williams, I would argue, is the de facto number two receiver tomorrow for the Ravens. Steve Smith, and then who? Kamar Aiken? Maybe. Kamar Aiken put up nothing last week. Marlon Brown? Marlon Brown's awful. I'm not going to analyze Marlon Brown's profile. Just take it, take my word for it. Marlon Brown isn't good. Marlon Brown is one of these slot receivers. He's a average or below average slot receiver in the NFL. Think Jason Avant type. No explosion. So now it's going to be Steve Smith and Max Williams. So yeah, Max Williams is a tremendous play. 
I don't think you're playing him in cash games. I rarely play players in daily from the Thursday night games. It's typically a mistake. And I don't like to play unproven players, particularly in cash games. But you could absolutely stick Max Williams in one of your GPP lineups. Makes sense. Just throw one out there. And I'm picking him up in, in some leagues where I need tight end help. What if you lost Austin Safarian Jenkins? Some people did. We've been lucky this year. Tight end is usually a very fragile position where it seems every week a new tight end is going down. Last year, it was Dennis Pitta, Jordan Reed. It was just one right after another. Boom, 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 boom. All these tight ends going down with injury. This year, we've been fortunate. In general, there have been less injuries in the NFL to skill position players in 2015 than there were in 2014. And specifically, we've seen a reduction in the injuries to tight ends. Now, maybe it's the new rules. Maybe it's the defenders are starting to process the new rules better. And the tackling techniques at the catch point are not as headhunter-ish. You're seeing less kamikaze-style tackles to try to separate the player from the ball, quote-unquote. You are seeing that less. There's less of those penalties being called. You'll notice it if you watch the games. There's not nearly as many of these helmet-to-helmet penalties and kamikaze-style collisions. Just not. There's just more form tackles at the catch point, and that's a good thing because it's particularly good for the tight ends because they're the ones that absorb the most violent collisions over the middle. But Austin's Farian Jenkins, not lucky. Max Williams is a guy I'm picking up if I own some of those players. We're not sure if Ladarius Green's going to play. Maybe you're one of these, these players that drafted Ladarius Green and Antonio Gates. Sorry. Wasting a lot of roster space there. But stream Max Williams if you are. The other guy that you need to get your hands on this week, the guy I'm trying to get in every league. I already have him in every Dynasty League, so that's good. That's good news for me. Oh, pat myself on the back again. Oh, you were right about Leonard Hankerson. Oh, three years of conviction in that player. Congratulations. You were right. Good job. Oh, you drafted Carlos Williams in every Dynasty League. Great work, man. Wow. High five. Pat yourself on the back. You're so smart, Matt Kelly. Oh, thanks, Matt Kelly. Appreciate that. Know what I'm doing. Carlos Williams. We talk about this all the time. How many times have we talked about this? Athleticism matters. Oh, there was a Harvard study that said athleticism is very poorly correlated with fantasy output. Blah, 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 blah. Wrong, wrong, wrong. What are you controlling for? Oh, really? You're controlling for all these things where athleticism's baked in. Okay, get out of here with that nonsense. Ridiculous. Carlos Williams exemplifies why athleticism matters, specifically size-adjusted athleticism. Carlos Williams is 6'1", 230 pounds. He is a man. Go ahead. Try to tackle him. Try. I can't imagine a, a scenario in the world, a task that someone would hand me of any profession. Think about the professions around the world. Snow crab fishing in the Arctic. All the dirty jobs, there's reality television shows, dirty jobs, cleaning porta-potties. Imagine cleaning the porta-potties after a music festival. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, please don't. Please don't. So imagine the dirtiest, worst professions and the, the specific tasks that you would be terrified or horrified to perform. Now, what if one of the tasks on the list, one of your choices was... <laughs> Put on a football uniform, play middle linebacker, and go tackle Carlos Williams. How's that going to go? You happy about that one? 
You happy you drew that one? That choice in the deli counter? No, you're not. No, you're crying. I would cry. If I had to do that, if that was my task, as they were strapping their shoulder pads on, like in Hunger Games, when they're putting the Kevlar leathery costume on and the contestants just have dead eyes. They're just staring straight ahead because they know they're going to their doom, essentially. About to see the hangman, but they're going to fight a bunch of people first. Death Row, that glazed over look. That's, that would be my look. It would feel like I was on death row if I knew that what was imminent was having to tackle Carlos Williams on the Buffalo Bills. Oh, God. Because he's 6'1", 230 pounds, and he runs a 448. A 448! That's a 114.2 speed score. That's 94th percentile. <laughs> so this is a freight train. You're essentially asking me to tackle a freight train. That's what he is. That's why he's doing so well. Why do you think he's playing so well? Because he's a freight train. That's why. Then you go to his profile and someone might ask, well, aren't you worried about Dominator rating? You love Dominator rating when you're talking about Leonard Hankerson. And then you conveniently leave out Dominator rating when you're talking about Carlos Williams. You need to be consistent, Fantasy Mansion. Yeah, the Dominator rating is a red flag. It is. He doesn't have a Todd Gurley profile. He doesn't have a Tevin Coleman profile. I'm not as excited about Carlos Williams as I am Amir Abdullah. No, I'm not. He's still a freight train, though. I'm not as excited because his burst score wasn't great. 115.5. Agility score, 1162. 13th percentile. Low. So he's got an interesting profile, a very Nile Davis-looking profile. And then you say, well, that college dominator rating, 19.0%, 21st percentile, also very low. You must only look at 40 times. Isn't that what you do? You just look at 40 times? Playing football is a lot more than just 40 times, Matt Kelly. It's true. In this particular case, I'm looking at 40 times because speed score matters. Because when a player is 230 pounds and he runs a 4.48, then the overarching ability is there. If he can learn to have more efficient footwork, if he can learn to be trusted in all phases, in the passing game, pass protection, he can be on the field more than he was in college, and then he can ascend. But that speed score for a running back, that's probably the most important thing. Size-speed. The size-speed combo. That's the reason we didn't like Justin Forsett, because he lacked that. Speed score in the bottom percentile. That's why we like Carlos Williams. Speed score in the upper percentile. Now, what about that, what about that dang college dominator rating? That dang college dominator rating there, Matt Kelly. What you gonna do about that dominator rating, huh? You sound all willy-nilly and smart with your speed scores and your advanced metrics. What you gonna do about that dominator rating? I think you're so smart, huh? You keep talking about dominator rating. Carlos Williams, you don't have a good dominator rating, man. You're stuck. You're about to have to admit that all you look at is 40 times. And playing football is a lot more than 40 times. I'll tell you that right now. Hmm, that's a good point. Hmm. What am I gonna do about this dominator rating? Hmm. Is there anything that could explain the dominator rating? Hmm, let's go back. Let's look at Carlos Williams' college resume. Wait a second. Carlos Williams wasn't a running back in college. For his first two seasons, he played defensive back. Then he converted from safety to running back in 2013, just in time to help lead Florida State to a national championship. And in 2013, he posted 8.0 yards per carry in his first season ever playing running back. 
Does that help at all? He shared a backfield with another NFL running back who scored three touchdowns last week, Devonta Freeman. Does that help? Most running backs don't have to compete with another NFL running back in the backfield. That's why Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown at Auburn didn't have great dominator ratings. That happens. It's why Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry don't have upper percentile dominator ratings because they were competing with each other for the football. Even Jarvis Landry, though, managed to still have an impressive dominator rating regardless, which very impressive. We'll talk about Jarvis Landry tomorrow. So Carlos Williams is new to football. And <laughs> Buddy Ryan's son, Rex Ryan, looked at this player on a, on a team that had Fred Jackson during preseason and established veterans like Anthony Dixon and said, you know what, kid? Normally, I like to play it conservative. I don't like turnovers. I like to play defense, protect the ball. But you can play. I need to get your explosiveness on the field. And you know what? In year three of this experiment, converting you to running back, you seem to have figured this out. How do we know Carlos Williams has figured it out? Because in 24 rush attempts this year, Carlos Williams has 186 yards. That's 7.8 yards per carry. That's... 0.2 yards per carry less than he averaged in 2013 at Florida State on his way to a national championship. Oh, yeah, he also scores three touchdowns this year already. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I had Carlos Williams ranked ahead of David Cobb and Jeremy Lankford and Cameron Artis Payne and Matt Jones and Mike Davis and Jay Ajayi coming into the NFL draft. That's why he's a top five running back prospect in this running back class. I love Carlos Williams because athleticism matters.